Section three of Honeybee by Anatole France, translated by Mrs. John Lane. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter eight, wherein we shall see what happened to George of Blanchelande because he approached the lake in which the Nixies dwell. Honeybee crossed the sand between two clumps of willows, and the little spirit of the place leaped into the water in front of her, leaving circles that grew greater and greater and finally vanished. This spirit was a little green frog with a white belly. All was silent. A fresh breeze swept over the clear lake whose every ripple had the gracious curve of a smile. This lake is pretty, said Honeybee but my feet are bleeding in my little torn shoes and i'm very hungry i wish i were back in the castle little sister said george sit down on the grass i will wrap your feet in the leaves to cool them then i will go in search of supper for you high up along the road i saw some ripe blackberries i will fetch you the sweetest and best in my hat give me your handkerchief i will fill it with strawberries for there are strawberries near here along the footpath under the shade of the trees and i will fill my pockets with nuts he made a bed of moss for honeybee under a willow on the edge of the lake and then he left her honeybee lay with folded hands on her little mossy bed and watched the light of the first stars tremble in the pale sky then her eyes half closed and yet it seemed to her as if overhead she saw a little dwarf mounted on a raven it was not fancy for having reined in the black bird who was gnawing at the bridle the dwarf stopped just above the young girl and stared down at her with his round eyes whereupon he disappeared at full gallop all this honeybee saw vaguely and then she fell asleep she was still asleep when george returned with the fruit he had gathered which he placed at her side then he climbed down to the lake while he waited for her to awaken the lake slept under its delicate crown of verdure a light mist swept softly over the waters suddenly the moon appeared between the branches and then the waves were strewn as if with countless stars but george could see that the lights which irradiated the waters were not all the broken reflections of the moon for blue flames advanced in circles swaying and undulating as if in a dance soon he saw that the blue flames flickered over the white faces of women beautiful faces rising on the crests of the waves and crowned with seaweeds and sea-shells with sea-green tresses floating over their shoulders and veils flowing from under their breasts that shimmered with pearls the child recognized the nixies and tried to flee but already their cold white arms had seized him and in spite of his struggles and cries he was borne across the waters along the galleries of porphyry and crystal chapter nine wherein we shall see how honeybee was taken to the dwarfs the moon had risen over the lake and the water now only showed broken reflections of its disk honeybee still slept the dwarf who had watched her came back again on his raven 
followed this time by a crowd of little men they were very little men their white beards hung down to their knees they looked like old men with the figures of children by their leathern aprons and the hammers which hung from their belts one could see that they were workers in metals they had a curious gait for they leaped to amazing heights and turned the most extraordinary somersaults and showed the most inconceivable agility that made them seem more like spirits than human beings yet while cutting their most foolhardy capers they preserved an unalterable gravity of demeanour to such a degree that it was quite impossible to make out their real characters they placed themselves in a circle about the sleeping child now then said the smallest of the dwarfs from the heights of his plumed charger now then did i deceive you when i said that the loveliest of princesses was lying asleep on the borders of the lake and do you not thank me for bringing you here we thank you bob replied one of the dwarfs who looked like an elderly poet indeed there is nothing lovelier in the world than this young damsel she is more rosy than the dawn which rises on the mountains and the gold we forge is not so bright as the gold of her tresses very good pick nothing can be truer cried the dwarfs but what shall we do with this lovely little lady pick who looked like a very elderly poet did not reply to this question probably because he knew no better than they what to do with this pretty lady let us build a large cage and put her in a dwarf by the name of rug suggested against this another dwarf called dig vehemently protested it was dig's opinion that only wild beasts were ever put into cages and there was nothing yet to prove that the pretty lady was one of these but rug clung to his idea for the reason possibly that he had no other he defended it with much subtlety said he if this person is not savage she will certainly become so as a result of the cage which will be therefore not only useful but indispensable this reasoning displeased the dwarfs and one of them named tad denounced it with much indignation he was such a good dwarf he promised to take the beautiful child back to her kindred who must be great nobles but this advice was rejected as being contrary to the custom of the dwarves we ought to follow the ways of justice not custom said tad but no one paid any further attention to him and the assembly broke into a tumult as a dwarf named pow a simple soul but just gave his advice in these terms we must begin by awakening this young lady seeing she declines to awake of herself if she spends the night here her eyelids will be swollen to-morrow and her beauty will be much impaired for it is very unhealthy to sleep in a wood on the borders of a lake this opinion met with general approval as it did not clash with any other pick who looked like an elderly poet burdened with care approached the young girl and looked at her very intently under the impression that a single one of his glances would be quite sufficient to rouse the dreamer out of the deepest sleep but pick was quite mistaken as to the power of his glance for honeybee continued to sleep 
with folded hands seeing this the good tad pulled her gently by her sleeve thereupon she partly opened her eyes and raised herself on her elbow when she found herself lying on a bed of moss surrounded by dwarfs she thought what she saw was nothing but a dream and she rubbed her eyes to open them so that instead of this fantastic vision she should see the pure light of morning as it entered her little blue room in which she thought she was for her mind heavy with sleep did not recall to her the adventure of the lake but indeed it was useless to rub her eyes the dwarfs did not vanish and so she was obliged to believe that they were real then she looked about with frightened eyes and saw the forest and remembered george my brother george she cried in anguish the dwarfs crowded about her and for fear of seeing them she hid her face in her hands george george where's my brother george she sobbed the dwarfs could not tell her for the good reason that they did not know and she wept hot tears and cried aloud for her mother and brother pow longed to weep with her and in his efforts to console he addressed her with rather vague remarks do not distress yourself so much he urged it would be a pity for so lovely a young damsel to spoil her eyes with weeping rather tell us your story which cannot fail to be very amusing we should be so pleased she did not listen she rose and tried to escape but her bare and swollen feet caused her such pain that she fell on her knees sobbing most pitifully tad held her in his arms and pow tenderly kissed her hand it was this that gave her the courage to look at them and she saw that they seemed full of compassion pick looked to her like one inspired and yet very innocent and perceiving that all these little men were full of compassion for her she said little men it is a pity you are so ugly but i will love you all the same if you will only give me something to eat for i am so hungry bob all the dwarfs cried at once go and fetch some supper and bob flew off on his raven all the same the dwarfs resented this small girl's injustice in finding them ugly rug was very angry pick said to himself she's only a child and she does not see the light of genius which shines in my eyes and which gives them the power which crushes as well as the grace which charms as for pow he thought to himself perhaps it would have been better if i had not awakened this young lady who finds us ugly but tad said smiling you will find us less ugly dear young lady when you love us more as he spoke bob reappeared on his raven he held a dish of gold on which were a roast pheasant an oatmeal cake and a bottle of claret he cut innumerable capers as he laid this supper at the feet of honeybee little men honeybee said as she ate your supper is very good my name is honeybee let us go in search of my brother and then we will all go together to clarides where mamma is waiting for us in great anxiety 
but dig who was a kind dwarf represented to honeybee that she was not able to walk that her brother was big enough to find his own way that no misfortune could come to him in a country in which all the wild beasts had been destroyed we will make a litter he said and cover it with leaves and moss and we will put you on it and in this way we will carry you to the mountain and present you to the king of the dwarfs according to the custom of our people all the dwarfs applauded honeybee looked at her aching feet and remained silent she was glad to learn that there were no wild beasts in the country and on the whole she was willing to trust herself to the kindness of the dwarfs they were already busy constructing the litter those with hatchets were felling two young fir trees with resounding blows this brought back to rug his original suggestion if instead of a litter we made a cage he urged but he aroused a unanimous protest tad looked at him scornfully you are more like a human being than a dwarf rug he said but at least it is to the honour of our race that the most wicked dwarf is also the most stupid in the meantime the task had been accomplished the dwarfs leaped into the air and in a bound seized and cut the branches out of which they deftly wove a basket chair having covered it with moss and leaves they placed honeybee upon it then they seized the two poles placed them on their shoulders and then off they went to the mountain chapter ten in which we are faithfully told how king locke received honeybee of clarides they climbed a winding path along the wooded slope of the hill here and there granite boulders bare and blasted broke through the grey verdure of the dwarf oaks and the sombre purple mountain with its bluish ravines formed an impassable barrier about the desolate landscape the procession preceded by bob on his feathered steed passed through a chasm overgrown with brambles honeybee with her golden hair flowing over her shoulders looked like the dawn breaking on the mountains supposing of course that the dawn was ever frightened and called her mother and tried to escape for all these things she did as she caught a confused glimpse of dwarfs armed to the teeth lying in ambush along the windings of the rocks with bows bent or lance at rest they stood immovable their tunics of wild beast skins and their long knives that hung from their belts gave them a most terrible appearance game furred and feathered lay beside them and yet these huntsmen to judge only by their faces did not seem very grim on the contrary they appeared gentle and grave like the dwarfs of the forest whom they greatly resembled in their midst stood a dwarf full of majesty he wore a cock-feather over his ear and on his head a diadem set with enormous gems his mantle raised at the shoulder disclosed a muscular arm covered with circlets of gold a horn of ivory and chased silver hung from his belt his left hand rested on his lance in an attitude of quiet strength and his right he held over his eyes so as to look towards honeybee and the light king locke said the forest dwarfs 
we have brought you the beautiful child we have found her name is hannibee you have done well said king locke she shall live amongst us according to the custom of the dwarfs hannibee he said approaching her you are welcome he spoke very gently for he already felt very kindly towards her he lifted himself on the tips of his toes to kiss her hand that hung at her side and he assured her not only that he would do her no harm but that he would try to gratify all her wishes even should she long for necklaces mirrors stuffs from cashmere and silks from china i wish i had some shoes replied honeybee upon which king lock struck his lance against a bronze disc that hung on the surface of the rock and instantly something bounded like a ball out of the depths of the cavern increasing in size it disclosed the face of a dwarf with features such as painters give to the illustrious belisarius but his leather apron proclaimed that he was a shoemaker he was indeed the chief of the shoemakers true said the king choose the softest leather out of our storehouses take a cloth of gold and silver ask the guardian of my treasures for a thousand pearls of the finest water and with this leather these fabrics and these pearls create a pair of shoes for the lady honeybee at these words true threw himself at the feet of honeybee and measured them with great care little king locke said honeybee i want the pretty shoes you promised at once because as soon as i have them i must return to clarides to my mother you shall have the shoes king locke replied you shall have them to walk about the mountains not to return to clarides for never again shall you leave this kingdom where we will teach you wonderful secrets still unknown on earth the dwarfs are superior to men and it is your good fortune that you are made welcome amongst them it is my misfortune replied honeybee little king locke give me a pair of wooden shoes such as the peasants wear and let me return to clarides but king locke made a sign with his head to signify that this was impossible then honeybee clasped her hands and said coaxingly little king locke let me go and i will love you very much you will forget me in your shining world little king locke i will never forget you and i will love you as much as i love flying wind and who is flying wind it is my milk-white steed and he has rose-coloured reins and he eats out of my hand when he was very little francor the squire used to bring him to my room every morning and i kissed him but now francor is in rome and flying wind is too big to mount the stairs king locke smiled will you love me more than flying wind indeed i would said honeybee well said cried the king indeed i would but i cannot i hate you little king locke because you will not let me see my mother and george again who is george george is george and i love him 
the friendship of king locke for honeybee had increased prodigiously in a few minutes and as he had already made up his mind to marry her as soon as she was of age and hoped through her to reconcile men and dwarfs he feared that later on george might become his rival and wreck his plans it was because of this that he turned away frowning his head bowed as if with care honeybee seeing that she had offended him pulled him gently by his mantle little king locke she said in a voice both tender and sad why should we make each other unhappy you and i it is in the nature of things replied king locke i cannot take you back to your mother but i will send her a dream which will tell her your fate dear honeybee and that will comfort her little king locke and honeybee smiled through her tears what a good idea but i will tell you just what you ought to do you must send my mother a dream every night in which she will see me and every night you must send me a dream in which i shall see her and king locke promised and so said so done every night honeybee saw her mother and every night the duchess saw her daughter and that satisfied their love just a little end of section three